Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're blessed by this podcast, please subscribe. Once you do, you'll be able to stay up to date with all our latest messages. This week, Pastor Tom is joined by special guests Don Stewart and David Tall. We look at current events through the lens of Bible prophecy and a special Q&A with questions taken directly from the viewers. So this is exciting right now. We are here to talk about events, what is going on in the world, what is going on in Israel. Uh, we have all kinds of things to talk about. Uh, we're going to get to Israel in just a second. So let me start with this. Um, actually, I haven't even introduced you officially. Let's make, okay, it, official. let's make it official. David Tell, go ahead. David Tell, Whoa. major in the idea. Well, I'm there. other things besides a major. You know, I'm a husband, I'm a father. And, and, there you go. <laughs> and wait a minute, and he, he is the best tour guide in Israel, too. Yes, Don't forget that. Yes, Woo! he is. So how many of you have been on tours with us and David? Well, not there we go. With you. I've been with David. Okay, that means yeah, all of the rest of you are going to be yeah. there next year, right? <laughs> so, um, yes, a, a quick introduction just so we kind of put this in some kind of context. I was born in California, actually. Okay. Dad was in the Navy, and they met in a place called San Diego. Anybody know where that is? There you go. There you go, and that's where it all started off. But uh, the young family decided to move to Israel way back in the 1960s, so I actually moved with the family to Israel in 1966, the first time. Um, and we are part of the Messianic movement that actually grew up in Israel at the time. Uh, we came back to the States for two years. That's why the accent is halfway decent. I spent two years in, in elementary school in the States in a place called Roswell, New Mexico. That explains a lot. No, no, that explains a lot. Okay, no, okay, no, okay. But from 1971, we've been in Israel, and I've been in Israel all my life. Uh, The way I like to say it is, besides the accent and the fact that I know all the rules of American football, unless you've changed something in the last week, okay? But besides that, everything is Israeli, and I am here to represent my people my land, and my country, basically. And that's what I'm doing here. Amen. I, da- David, tell them the story of what happened in June of 1967 with you. Oh, 1967 yeah. war. Yeah. This is a great story. Well, again, and, and, and because I am a representative, I have a unique point of view, if you can put it this way. You read about events that happen over there, and you see it on the news, and you read it in the newspapers. And it's really interesting sometimes to hear from somebody who's actually there. So, for instance, classic example would be the 1967 war. How long did it last? Anybody know? That's why it's called? Now, who won the Six-Day War? Yeah, but here's the thing. The day before the first day of the Six-Day War, we were terrified. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, we look at it in hindsight and we say, oh, where does the Army won the Six-Day War? But we were freaked out and literally freaked out. I, my, my parents are sitting in the living room and saying, you know, what's going to happen? We're filling up sandbags and putting them in the entrance to the building because we knew that we were within artillery range of the Jordanians who said they were going to wipe us off the map. Let me say that again. You live in a house that's within the artillery umbrella of an enemy that wants to kill you. I mean, that's the mindset. I mean, we know we're going to war. And, uh, well, 
should I share my childhood experience? Well, that's what I wanted you to share. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, think about story. this. I'm five years old. We're getting all excited because we're filling up buckets of sand. So the, the municipality had brought in sand piles and put them in the, main, in the main neighborhood. So we're filling up buckets of sand, you know, and I'm all excited. I mean, there's nothing more fun for a five-year-old. Then all of a sudden, I go, Mom, why are we filling up buckets of sand and taking them into the bomb shelter? And my mom says, well, there's no bathrooms. And then I got really excited. <laughs> There's nothing more exciting for a five-year-old than to pee in a bucket of sand. I mean, so that's my six—that's <laughs> my six-day war experience. Um, but maybe, maybe just to tie it in together, we did have a Jordanian artillery round fall in the backyard, and I got pieces of shrapnel this big that went through the living room. And again, that's a part of the way of life in Israel. We take it for granted that Israel won the wars. But on the eve of the 67 war, nobody believed that we were going to win. We won. We won big time. But there's a whole new story connected to yeah. that. Yeah, thank you for that. Amen. So uh, we're going to talk a lot about Israel tonight, obviously. David right. is here. But I'm going to de deal with the, the elephant in the room right now, which is the coronavirus. Yeah, the flu. There you go. The Wu, yeah. Wu flu from Wuhan. The Wu flu. There you go. So I'm looking at pictures online. I want to get this out of the way and then okay. move on. And it looks like a ghost town. Yeah. Where the Wu flu That's is. true. That's true. Yeah. So you, you keep the world updated on these things. I sure do. And uh, let's, so where do you see this going? Or do you see it going anywhere? Oh, do you boy. think what we're, we're getting accurate reports? No, from China, no. Nothing's accurate. You kidding? Well, before we can ask where is it going, can you tell us where it came from? Yeah, of course I can. That's a real easy one. Um, in, in China, they have two laboratories that are uh, fourth level. And fourth level laboratory is it's the super laboratories where they keep the Ebola virus, the SARS, coronavirus. This is, corona is a virus. This is a novel coronavirus. Some of the other thing mirrors in that. Two, two laboratories right next to each other. Of all places, it's in the city of Wuhan in China, right where this thing miraculously broke out in this open-air market. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Uh, so first and foremost, I've been following that quite a bit, actually. And it seems that, uh, number one, the number of people who are infected and who have died are probably 10 times more, at least, than what's reported, and maybe even north of that, number one. Um, what had happened was, it seems to, how it got out, you know, there's got the labs there, they've got all these um, different, uh, you know, viruses and, and deadly things they work with. It seems that what happened since um, the, the, uh, cr this coronavirus is asymptomatic, the symptoms don't show up right away. Someone obviously caught it in the lab and goes out in the public, you know, and doesn't realize they have it, they don't get sick right away. Then all of a sudden, boom, uh, a few people get sick. And remember, there were eight doctors who called attention to that, and they got all uh, shut up and, you know, and said, quit saying that, throw in jail. In fact, one of them just died recently. This is, this is really horrific. But right now, it's, um, it's, it's gone from bad to worse. The good news is it's not as deadly as SARS. SARS killed one out of every 10% um, uh, of the people. 800 people died, 8,000 got it. Um, this one only kills, it seems, as of now, 2%. However, the, they just mentioned yesterday it's now airborne, you know, aeros it's aerosol. So basically it's not just touching. It can get there in the air, Tom. And what's weird, you heard about that cruise ship, haven't you, that was in the Bay of Japan? Uh, yeah, they've, one, one man from Hong Kong, an 80-year-old man from Hong Kong, got on the ship, no, no symptoms, got off. But he found out later he had the, uh, the Wu flu. He had the, you know, coronavirus. And uh, so they 
parked the ship out in the uh, Yokohama Bay, they found 10 people, had caught it from this one person. <laughs> then another 10 people. Right now it's 61 people out there on that ship that have caught that, 61. And so, yeah, and so um, now the worst story of all, and I hope nothing comes to this. When I did the program on Friday, I'll shut up after this, I could go all day because we've been talking about this every day. Did you hear about the, the royal, royal princess ship? Yeah, that landed in Bayonne, New Jersey. Hear about that? Yeah, that was what, Friday morning, 6 a.m. It gets Bayonne, New Jersey. There were three people taken off the ship, uh, emergency, uh, because they thought that they were sick. 13, I think 13 Chinese people were quarantined. And where'd the rest of the people go? Off the ship. They all, yes, they all left. They all left to go to all 50 states, the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So this reminds me, several years ago, you and I talking. We talked about it. Probably here, probably on we his did. channel. Exactly. And you would reference the movie called Outbreak. Exactly. That's what and how the reality of it is that something like this is going to spread. Correct. And so we look at this currently happening now. You look at air travel. I'm looking at these ships, and it seems like there's it, several yeah, of them. There are. I'm, I'm supposed to go on a cruise sometime in the future. God bless you. Yeah. I can't get my money back. You can, no, you won't. Nobody's no, going to give me my money back. And, but, but, but with that movie Outbreak, you look exactly. at this and you go, yeah. okay, here's the reality of it. We have a world where everybody's traveling everywhere right. and how easy it is for something like this to spread. Now, we don't know how far this is going to go yet. C correct. We do know that in the tribulation period, this is going to happen and it is going to spread. Right. Yeah. So basically... The, the good news only so far that it is not as deadly as some of the other pathogens that have been out there like uh, MERS, like SARS, Ebola, of course, and that. The bad news, it seems to spread more rapidly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, 50,000 50, Americans each year die of the food. You know that? Just every year. So it does kill a lot of people, 250,000 worldwide. So it is something that kills people. This one is, you know, particularly heinous, as it were. And so you've got all, the, you know, you've got the perfect storm. You've got 11 million people living in, in Wuhan there. You've got absolutely terrible air, terrible, terrible air. And you've got 11 million people bumping into each other. And, you know, they've got compromised systems there. And so that's, you know, that's the breeding ground for all of that. And, uh, but China, there's a couple great, uh, there's a video you want to watch and a story you want to read in the, in the, the news um, site, the Epoch Times, the Epoch Times. They've got a video of this guy who works with the Black Ops group, and he's talking about, you know, his sources, what they're saying, and he's, you know, same thing I've read on a couple of sources. It's basically, you know, it's a bioweapon that's been developed, it got out accidentally somehow, and uh, <clears throat> they're not even telling nearly the same figures, the amount of figures that are out there, number one. And then there's another article about, you know, how, how possible is this a bioweapon that gone bad? And they kind of say the same thing. So if you want to look at that. But uh, the good news is, like I said, if there's any good news in this, it doesn't seem to be nearly as deadly as, you know, like if it was Ebola, then Lord help the world. But Tom, we've talked about that, right? The bioterrorism, of this yeah, getting have. out. And we've talked about it for years. We don't want to cause a panic or anything. But uh, it's there and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, speaking of causing a panic, so this is in the news today, norovirus outbreak yep. uh, in Louisiana at a casino, leaving 200 people ill. So you look at this and people can start freaking out. It, this, the potential with coronavirus is to affect the economy. Because exactly. China's, it's really got China in a quandary. And you start looking at things. And David, you were talking, you landed at LAX the other day. That was scary. It, yeah, you said all was. kinds of people. Yeah. Well, I mean, you get off a plane and you're in the United States, and you walk into the passport control, a lot of people from all over the world, a lot of Asians, mm -hmm. 
and half of the Asians have masks. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was yeah. scared. Yeah, and, we, and there you, you land and you look at that and you go. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm going to move my chair now. You, you've been a little too close to me the last 24 yeah. hours. That's all right. Um, can I ask a question that comes sure, from, sure. from the top there? Though? Sure. If China closes down, yeah. as in all of the websites and, you know, and everything, and all of the manufacturing that's going on and everything that's going on, what would that mean for the world economy? Well, that's just it. The world economy is starting to take a big hit. The world stock market today started going south. And because they're worried about the long-term effect of this, you know, globally, because, you know, China, uh, not like, you know, it was, what, 10 years ago when the SARS thing, 12, no, actually more than that, broke out in 2002. They weren't as widespread, you know, China as they are now with their finger and pie hand and basically everything in the world. So that's right. We could have a really global turndown, a really, you know, reversal there because of what's going on in China. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's rather frightening because you, you don't know. It's one of these things. You, don't, you, you see people, you don't know where they've been. You don't know who's sitting next to you, you know, that might have it. And, you know, it's, it's but it's, yeah, it's, it's real. It's real. But the good news is the Lord has told us, you know, these things are going to happen. They are a sign of the end, plagues and pestilence. We've talked about it for years. But like I said, if there's any silver lining in this, many people, more people have recovered than have died from it, at least as far as we know, at least that have been reported. Uh, in the West, there's only two people outside of China who have died from it, and they're both Chinese, you know. So it, it's not something that's, um, you know, widespread in killing people. Now, there's also something else that was interesting. One of the articles I read, then I'll shut up about it. It seems that this particular virus, this guy, this, you know, he's a scientist, and he does the, the whole biochemical thing. He said it seems that Asians had a particular receptor in their body to be more susceptible to it. So it could be... And someone asked, well, is this sort of a designer, you know, bioterroristic weapon to go after Asian people? Well, if it is, it probably wasn't meant for the Chinese and their own people, unless they want to thin the herd a little bit. You know, I don't, I don't see that. And so, but it was interesting how that, that guy reported that, hmm. that seemingly they have this receptor that they're more susceptible. And again, the only people who have died so far are, are Asians, and only two out of, out of China. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's yeah, terrible. And, and we are in a time, you and I talked several years ago about Ebola. Right. It hasn't gone away. So these things are out there. They're out there. But ultimately, the day will come when they, these things are going to be part of the tribulation and they will be absolutely devastating. Yeah. What's going to happen right now, we, we, we can't predict that part of the future. Yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, it's one of these things you stay tuned to. What we try and do, I do it, you know, I have a program every day on his channel, an hour a day of breaking news. And what I say each day, I say, we're not going to bury our head in the sand, but we're not going to go overboard either and say the sky is falling or something like this, trying to get a balanced point of view. But it is something to be, we need to be aware of and something that's, that's out there and something that is, you know, global, and it may affect, again, the global economy. So we'll, we'll see. So it's a, it's a thing we, we're not, as we've talked about, this is not surprising, is it, Tom? We see something no. like this. The, we were the, expecting something like this. Yeah, and Jesus told us to watch. Yeah. Uh, watch and be ready. Watch and pray. The Old Testament prophets uh, talked about being a watchman on the wall. You look throughout the New Testament, and over and over and over again, we are given signs. We're, 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 we're told, watch these things. Why would God give us these things if he didn't want us to watch and be prepared? So exactly. I look at these as these are things that should have us alerted that the church should not be asleep. In fact, we're exhorted to not be asleep. 
to be aware, to pay attention, so we are not caught unaware. Listen, Jesus is coming. We don't know when, but he is coming. I thought he was coming in 1988. He's not here yet. <laughs> and, but you know what? I know this much. Uh, what, how many years ago was that? 32 years ago? We're 32 years closer than when I thought that in 1988. And each day we're one day closer. Either way, we watch this is what God tells us to do. And um, we want to warn people. Uh, mainly, people need to know Jesus Christ, that he came the first time. But these are signs. That's all they are. They point to something that is coming that should have us alerted. Yeah, and one final thing. Why, Tom just mentioned they are signs. Uh, my good friend Hal Lindsey, when he wrote his book, The Late Great Planet Earth, in the 1970s, he mentioned one of the signs of the end was plagues and pestilence. And Hal said he, he got immediately these letters from all these Christian doctors that said, Hal, I'm sorry, we're all done with that. We've taken care of that. The world's rid of plagues and pestilence. Then Hal said a few years later, these same doctors wrote back, said, well, maybe we spoke a little bit too soon. Well, that was the 70s. Here we are in 2020, the roaring 20s now, and look what's going on. We've got this thing, and only God knows how it's going to end up. But uh, anyway. The Lord's in control. That's the great news. Well, fun, funny thing. No, wait. wait yeah. I want to ask a question on that one. We're still on the first question. Yeah, well, yeah. that's good. <laughs> Can a computer virus be one of those signs? Uh, computer virus be one of the signs. Well, yeah, we've got the exponential you know, increase of technology, which is really interesting you mentioned that, because we, we've got that also going on. Now, I'm sure you know some things, David, you cannot tell us, obviously. Yes. Uh, yeah. You got, being, you know... Now, you're, you're a retired major, is that it now? Or how, not how they retired. I'm not retired. I still have my boots. Well, they took your group away from yeah, you. Yeah, they took so, my you, retired. Yeah, that's they, what you told me. They, they won't let them drive a tank they, anymore. Really, yeah, yeah, but, anyway, but uh, yeah, it's interesting about the computer virus thing, too. That's a whole other subject that's uh, a little bit different. It's not something that can you know, infect you in the same way. But, it, but um, we know what's going on at the time of the end, that whatever we do, wherever we turn, just like in China now, 1.4 billion people, not only your face is in this uh, data recognition thing, you know, your mugshot, they've got your gait, how you walk, this and that, they've got all your, you know, your digital footprint there, they, so they're everything you're saying, everything you're doing, and so that's, and they're going to be, you know, they're, they're kind of setting the t table for the rest of the world that way, and so it's, you know, it's a fascinating world we live in, and so... Um, this, I, w I won't ask you about the Stuxnet because wasn't that something the Israelis did or what the Americans did? Yeah, okay, I, okay, I, I wouldn't. Have. Okay, never mind. It's been a while. But okay, anyway. Were you working? Never mind. No, we don't. He, he didn't say it. He didn't say a word. So, w with this, um, the chicken little thing, the sky is falling. We don't want to do that, but we do want to present the truth. So I'm going to bring up. Let's shift gears here, over to Iran, uh, and also want to let you know we're going to be walking through everybody here with a microphone, so think of a question you might want to ask. Make sure they are related to the topics, okay? Yeah, or we're not going to answer your question. We'll just say, uh, have a seat, and move on. And you don't want to be embarrassed. And then um, also online, I'm going to be getting message, uh, text questions. If they're relevant, we'll deal with those. But right now, uh, Iran and satellites. Okay, this says, Iran counts down to launch of new satellites. However, you have some updated information. Well, they didn't do it. Yeah, it, 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 it. They tried. Okay, Iran has been trying to put a satellite in orbit uh, for a while now. They've tried already. This was a fourth attempt. One of them blew up on, on the, whatchamacallit, uh, on, on the ramp, I guess you would call it. I don't know who did that, but your president said that you didn't do it, so <laughs> I'm, I'm glad about that. 
Um, and this attempt uh, did not achieve uh, stable orbit, which means the Iranians are trying to put a object in space, basically. Now, you guys should be really, really worried about this. I mean, I'm worried about everything about Iran, okay? But you should be much more worried because the minute you put something in orbit, it changes the whole dynamic. If you think about missile warfare and you put some kind of warhead on a missile, okay, you shoot that missile at a target and the bigger the engine is, the further the missile can go. Um, everybody's heard ballistic missiles and everything that's connected, which basically means the higher a missile can go up into the, into the atmosphere, the further it can reach. And there's a footprint that's basically the target area where a missile can, can drop. And the minute you achieve stable orbit, that footprint becomes all of the planet. Meaning if until now they have a 3,000 mile capability of firing a rocket 3,000 miles away, if they can achieve stable orbit, they can drop that from orbit anywhere on the planet, including in Hemet, California. Yeah, now I got a question that this is, so this is a front for their ballistic missile program, right? And this has to worry because it, all it is is testing the waters as well, how they can have weapons, you know, like you said, where they can go anywhere on Earth because they want to kill the big Satan us and the little Satan you, right? Yeah, and we're really worried about that because we're Jewish and we celebrate people who want to kill us. Did you know that? Okay, and do you know what a Jewish celebration is? Well, you know what a Jewish holiday is? I mean, Passover, uh, Purim, Hanukkah. Okay, what's the idea behind a Jewish holiday? It goes like this. They tried to kill us. They didn't kill us. Let's eat. <laughs> but here's the connection. Okay, in Passover, it was the Egyptians. Okay, in uh, Hanukkah, it was the Greeks. Okay, in Purim, it was the Persians. We already have a Persian holiday. We don't need another one. <laughs> Yeah, along that line, can I ask him a question? Uh, yes, okay. please. We just had the, uh, a debate, what was it, last night, the night before, with the Democrat candidates that ran for president. And they were asked about taking out Soleimani, and they said, no, that's not doing anything. That has nothing to do with giving the, the world, making it more safer, you know, <laughs> you know, like that. Can you explain, David, that this person was, a, he's one of a kind and he really is not replaceable and what this evil person had done and why it was necessary to take him out? Solomon. Solomon. Iran believes that they should be running the world. They believe deep down inside that Islam is the best religion, that Shia Islam, I don't know how much you know about Islam, Islam comes in two basic uh, denominations, if you want to call it. There's the Shia and the Sunni. Sunni, they've been killing each other for 800 years. Uh, but the, Iran is the Shia, the most more militant, more fanatic, more outspoken. Um, no, just so you understand what kind of fanaticism we're talking about, they have a ceremony every year where men and children cut themselves with knives to make themselves bleed to remember the terrible tragedy that happened 800 years ago. They literally do that to their children. They mutilate their children in response. I mean, that's how deep it goes. And Iran believes that they should be running the Middle East and the least, and if not, the rest of the world. 
But the problem is they don't have the power, the ability, the capability, or whatever you want to call it, actually. So what they do is they export terror, basically, to destabilize the Middle East as much as possible. And in that destabilization, okay, move in and take up positions in power. Anybody who's old enough to remember the Cold War, basically something very similar was happening. Communism, which couldn't take on the U.S. in, in a front, uh, you know, a face-off, would use proxy wars in order to destabilize Vietnam or destabilize other places and then move in in that very weak sense in order to take up positions of power. Iran has been doing that in the Middle East for the last 50 years. And the main instigator, the main exporter of this destabilization was uh, Soleimani. And he was using all kinds of different political leverage in order to put pressure on the Yemenites to take up Sunni uh, uh, doctrine in order to fight against the Saudis or to destabilize Lebanon in order to allow the Hezbollah, which is an Iranian proxy, to move into southern Lebanon and be used in the battle against Israel, or to destabilize Syria and the whole civil war that was going in to allow the Iranians to move in. Now, we've known this for a long time. Your government has known this for a long time. But he was the main motivator, the main instigator, and the main, how to say, leader of this whole destabilization movement that was going on in the Middle East. And then he died. And and, and okay, and here's something that I'm allowed. I mean, all of you are American. I'm the only Israeli as far as I know sitting here. Okay? Thank you. Thank you for putting a president in office who sees what that is and does that for us. <laughs> I, I, I told you they cheer. Well, yeah, I mean, no. But, okay, here, here's the thing. We're on the same side here. And one of the reasons I'm here is because there's a lot of people on this side of the ocean that I think have forgotten that. They've forgotten what the right side is and what the wrong side is. And to, to a certain extent, this administration with all of its complexities, okay, I'll admit that, okay, but has Israel in its fold. And as an Israeli who has to live in that kind of environment, and as a person who is raising his sons over there and, and lives over there, as a Jew who has gone through everything that my history has gone through, it makes us feel a lot safer when we have people strong enough, big enough, and caring enough to look out for our interests. And, and again, I know it's a political issue, but I'm not going political on this, okay? I'm going actually survival on this, and thank you for the administration that's in place in the United States that takes out threats like Suleiman. And that's, and that's coming from someone who's had survived since you peed in a bucket when you were six years old. Yeah. Um, I have a, we have a lot of questions that have been coming in online. Okay. All right? Not about that. <laughs> but a lot of questions. 
So this one, it does pertain to Iran. This was from Catherine online. Where is Iran getting all this money for all their weapons, satellites, etc.? Either of you can answer yeah, that. That, that. That is kind of a no-brainer. His name is Barack Hussein Obama. And the last administration... How much was that? Yeah. And How much? Well, $150 billion, like with a in, B. In suitcases? Yeah, the suitcases, the cash they had in, and the big racks there in the airport that they, they did the various currencies yeah. there. Yeah, and that's where they've got the money. Now, remember President Trump said that the bombs that they sent over, the missiles sent over to the two bases there in Iraq were paid for by U.S. money, that, the, the weapons that are there, because they wouldn't have had that uh, literally. And, and David, you could develop this you want. When the 2015 JCPOA, you know, was finally when Obama made that with the five members of the Security Council plus Germany, Iran was at the death's door economically, weren't they at that time? In other words, they were, they were, they were, more than hurting, right? They were down on one knee, yeah. Yeah, literally. And so they, that was their lifeline. That and other things. And I think, uh, again, I, I got to be careful to put blame on one side right. completely. But yes, there was... Your former administration had this need to appease the Muslim side. I don't know where that came from. I don't know who was Muslim in the whole process, but okay. Um, but um, there was this sense that the Western world went out and said, okay, we don't get along with the Muslims, let's shake hands and sing Kumbaya. And, and the thing is that there was an attempt to do that, and the way they attempted to do that was appeasement. I think the first place that Barack Obama went was Cairo he to did. stand up in front of the Muslim world and say, oh, we're brothers, you know. And the Muslim world said, thank you, but okay, bring it over. Okay, and, and basically that's, that's what happened. And then with Iran, Iran did, oh, come on. I mean, remember in third grade when you come to school with a very nice sandwich and the class bully looks at your sandwich and says, I want that sandwich. And you say, no, it's mine. I don't want to give it. And he says, if you don't give it to me, I'm going to beat you up. To a certain extent, that's what Iran did. Yeah. Iran saw what was going on and said to the world, if you don't want to have a balagan, by the way, balagan means mix up, mess up, problem, snafu, whatever you want to call it. If you don't want to have balagan with us, you need to give us this. If you don't want to have a balagan with us, you have to help us here. If you don't want to have a balagan. So basically it's this, okay, I can't really take you on, but I'm going to be such a pest that I'm going to make you pay for me not to be a pest. And that's what they did to your former administration. Yeah, and it's not only our administration. Let's blame the Europeans. Let's face that. Western Europe was horrible there also. They're just as guilty as the U.S. has been. And they actually, they're still, they still are. They don't even want to face Iran now, do they, Dave? They don't even want to confront them with all the, the violations of this JCPOA. They're, they're give, in fact, this new guy, they got what's he called, a high minister there in the, the new EU. First thing he did is had the you know, anti-Semitic statement about you know, the peace thing. And he'd visited Iran right in front of that. So... Uh, Western Europe, again, is, is, is part of the problem in, in, in big time. I think it goes deeper than that. I'm going to say there's this sense, and, and again, maybe we can open this up and go a little bit deeper. There's this sense that the world is going into a different mindset where there's not right and wrong the way we grew up with, but there's a lot of gray. And, and when, you, when you deal in grayness, 
So this gray is a little bit darker than this gray, but all the grays are more or less the same. So let's see if we can solve problems, not by deciding what is right and what is wrong, but let's solve problems by being gray together. Okay? And, and to a certain extent, I'm going to say there's a lack of ethical standfastness. I mean, there's a lack of, of people saying what's right and what's wrong. And if everything's a little bit right and everything's a little bit wrong, so what does it matter if they believe a little bit different or what if they matter? Or what's the matter if you call them God or you call them Allah? Come on, there's a big difference. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, if we're all trying to be great together, it doesn't really matter if, it, if it's this or this. Or what if, what's the difference between a freedom fighter and a terrorist? Okay, we're all, and we're starting to see this, this mix-up of, of ethics that is permeating everything in our culture, your culture, to a certain, and we're a little bit behind you. I'm glad to say we're a little bit, how to say, un, undeveloped in that area than, than you are. But basically, when it's all gray and there's nothing black and white, then everything is acceptable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in that, okay, you get this erosion of values. And maybe one of the reasons we're here, all three of us, I think, to a certain extent, is to remind people that there is right and there is wrong. Right. And we need yeah. people to stand up for what is right and what is wrong. Amen. Yeah, and you know, we saw this in our country recently too with the SJWs in the NBA, the social justice warriors get over to China and all of a sudden, they're, you know, they speak out about everything wrong about the US. They get over there and they've got a concentration camp literally there with between one and two million Muslim uh, called Uyghurs that are there that are basically like Mengele's experiments in, you know, in, in, in the Second World War. And uh, when asked about that, well, we don't know anything about that, but they can complain about, you know, the slightest thing here that goes on in the U.S. So it's all about the almighty buck, too. So that's one of the sad things about this country, isn't it, Tom, that we yeah. see it happening literally everywhere. We do see, see it happening everywhere. And you, so you watch, if, if you go back to the blurred lines, over here, you know, we started dealing with transgenderism, uh, quite some time ago. But you look at how those blurred lines there are permeating what you're talking about. It, it affects everything in, in culture, and it's literally affecting everything in the world. What is amazing, you take what, what you just mentioned with the, the SJWs, the social justice warriors. Uh, if you look at America, uh, there are so many Americans now that want to have Sharia law here. I can't yes. figure that out, which is so <laughs> anti-woman, and yet, exactly, yes. it's just horrible, and yet, at the same time, they're, they're talking about the conservative movement being anti-woman. You're thinking, wait a minute, you want to have Sharia law here, and you look at Christianity, which has been the most pro-woman, probably religion that's existed, you look at these things, you go, this stuff is insane. But uh, Isaiah talked about the time where right would be called wrong, wrong would be called right. And I want to say this too, Romans chapter 1 talks about the time when God says, professing to be wise, I will show them to be fools. And it looks like that's what's happening in Congress. Yeah. Doesn't it? T totally. Yep. I mean, no, seriously, these people are professing to be the wisest people in America, and you watch what's happening every single day to them. Everything they do doesn't work out. Yeah. And, and it, it just looks absurd. Yeah. One of the signs, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5 of the last days, they will oppose that which is good. Yeah. Oppose that which is good. Did it sound like? And that's where we are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It yeah. sounds like the world we're in. So, yeah, the shades of gray, you know, 
uh, No More Black or White. That was sung by the monkeys in the 60s, and now it's become a reality in uh, 2020. I remember that song. Remember Davy that song? Jones and Mickey Dolans and all that stuff. Peter Tork and Mike and Nesmith. Mike and Nesmith, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we're getting a lot of questions on Okay, come on. Bring them on. A lot. So um, there's one question I got that I want to ask you about before we're done here, and I had this presented this way, Don. I mentioned it to David earlier. It is, somebody said to me uh, regarding their Muslim friend, their Muslim friend said, hey, uh, all of a sudden these Jews, they came back to the land. They said, we lived here a thousand years ago, and they're kicking us out. How would you like that if somebody came over to your house and said, I lived here a thousand years ago and kicked you out? And that's the narrative, isn't it, that you get from... Uh, half of the country, half of the world, the UN. So I want to deal with that, the Palestinian Jewish thing in a few minutes. But a lot of questions I have that are coming in have to do with this peace plan. Oh. And, and yeah. I mean, the questions are all over the map on it. Uh, could this be the one that's going to eventually be enforced by the Antichrist? Does this look like, like a good thing? What about dividing the land? Um, and, and we don't know a whole lot about it yet on my end. I read a lot of things about it. It's been presented, but you're from Israel. You have all the answers. You know everything. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> You've got to live with it. <laughs> um, you elected a deal maker. He knows how to make deals. The ultimate deal is peace in the Middle East. I mean, I mean, if, if that's so, he's put it on his heart, on his legacy, on his uh, shoulders to make peace in the Middle East. The problem is that peace in the Middle East is not just a real estate issue. And, and, and kind of people kind of forget. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to diverse a little bit just so we understand what we're talking about. Um, in the book of Genesis, God created a triangle that puts him on one side, the promised land on one side, and the chosen people on the other side. And he says, these three are connected forever and ever. Yes. Amen. That's what I read. That's what you read. That's what most of us believe. So it's not only about the promised land. It's also about the people, and it's also about God. You can't separate that triangle. It's, it's still stuck together. So any kind of deal it has to be more than just a real estate deal. It's got to be much, much more. So your president comes up with what he believes would be the solution to the whole problem. The problem is, though, that there are people who believe that that triangle is not connected anymore. And, and if, you know, the promised land is the promised land, but who is it promised to? And the people kind of left way back then, and, and it's not connected anymore. So, um, but he comes up and he says, listen, let's share, okay? Let's do the Solomon thing, basically, and that's what? Divide the baby in half. Now, you understand we're talking about a baby that's smaller than New Jersey, okay? This isn't the great, you know, Alaskan, uh, you know, this is a tiny little baby, so you cut it this way, and you cut it this way, and you cut it this way, and, and for years, people have been trying to find some kind of solution that both sides will actually agree to, and, and to make it more complex, if, if anybody's been to Israel, it's not that, you know, there's one side of the road with this neighborhood and one side of the road with this neighborhood, it's all mixed in together. We're all living together in this tiny little land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. So it's a lot more complex than most people to think that it is. Your president comes out with a plan, though, that for the first time, and I have to say this very clearly, for the first time, 
says officially, publicly, and legally, this land belongs to the Jewish people. Yeah. And, and whether I agree with the plan or not, okay, for the first time, the world superpower, and this is the world superpower, is saying this belongs to the Jews, and we can reach a compromise if this and this and this is going to happen, but it's got to be a compromise out of ownership and not a compromise out of surrender. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's more than anything what we owe the administration to this peace plan. This peace plan says this is what's going to happen, this is what goes to the Jews, this is what we believe should go to the Arabs, this is what should happen, and you Palestinians have four years to agree with this, otherwise I don't know what's going to happen. And, and for the first time I think somebody's trying to kind of bring it together. Now, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a politician, I'm not a pastor, all of them starts with a P. I mean, you know, and, and, <laughs> and I don't know how it's going to work out. I have no idea. I, I don't see this peace plan being accepted by their, their side. I'm not really sure how much I see it being accepted by our side, though there's more acceptance. Let's put it this way. The Jewish people, the Israelis, have been more willing to share their inheritance in the name of peace then the other side has been willing to share what's not their inheritance in the name of war. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something that people, there's two, two sides. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that the Arabs sat down again, the Arab League, meaning not just one Arab nation, all of the group of Arab nations sat down together, looked at the peace plan, flipped through the 180 pages and said, no. No compromise, no negotiation. No peace. Now, that's not the first time they said that. That's probably the 32nd time that they've said no to an attempt to reach some kind of an agreement. And, and I'm, I'm glad or sad to say that it doesn't look like this one's going to get off the ground either. Mm -hmm. Either or either. Yeah. The, but, yeah. Either or either. They both work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in uh, June 1967, there was, as David, you know, was it? Told the bucket incident. The uh, six-day war took place. You're never going to forget that. Never no, that's forget great. That. That's just, <laughs> People are going to be just be pulling that up on YouTube. Just watch that one spot. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, a few months later in Khartoum, Sudan, uh, the Arab League got together and came up with the famous three no's. There's not going to be any peace. There's not going to be any recognition. There's not going to be any negotiation. And we talked the other day, David and I were at a conference on Friday. And I said, David, what's changed since 1967? Your answer was, of course, nothing on their side, right? Nothing. Not a zero, nothing. They're not going to negotiate. They're not going to recognize. There's not going to be any peace. That's simple. Because why? They think the whole land's theirs. Listen, Yasser Arafat was born in Egypt. He's not a Palestinian. There's no such thing as a Palestinian. That was created in the 1960s. So let's, fa you know, in fact, there's a great book. Uh, do they still recommend from time immemorial, the woman in the Carter administration? I don't know if you know this story. There's a woman in the Jimmy Carter administration was supposed to write a book on the whole situation in the Middle East, and she wrote a book called From Time Immemorial, and she came to the exact opposite conclusion that, that, you know, this is not belonging to the so-called Palestinians that never existed before. Again, they came in from other countries to work there. They haven't been there for 2,000 years, not the biblical Canaanites and that. It belongs to the Jews, to Israel. And, you know, and, but again, we've got, like, you know, Goebbels said, if you, you know, you say it enough, the, the, the minister of, of Bab from the Third Reich, you know, the, 
uh, again, if you keep telling people something over and over again, they're going to believe it. And now we've got supposedly two equal groups, the Palestinians, the Israelis. There's no equality there at all, either morally or traditionally or historically at that. And that's why there's not going to be any peace between the two. Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazen's map of the whole area as one country, Palestine. And David, how many Jews is he going to let live in Palestine? Zero, not one, right? None. And none. And so how do you negotiate with someone like Hamas where their charter says that you don't have a right to exist? You know, and so um, that that's the situation Israel finds itself in. And that's why it is so great. Let me make a, you know, a, a promo. If you get a chance ever to go to Israel with these two guys, go. Because when you, if you can ever see it firsthand, for those who have gone, you know what I'm talking about, right? You have a whole different view of everything. How close everything is, how close together it is, and how, you know, how great the Jewish people are. What a wonderful miracle they are. So we thank God for that. And we thank God again for our president who recognizes Amen. that. And one of these trips, one of these trips, we're going to convince Don Stewart to be able to join us too. He's got a busy schedule. We'll, we'll get him there. Um, so there's still a lot to talk about. I want to take questions from here. Pastor Roy, Pastor Harry, you have mics. Uh, so if anybody has questions here, raise your hand. We're going to get to as many as we can. Here's what happened. Tonight, it was going to be a format of Don speaking and then David speaking and then about a 10-minute Q&A. And we were talking and realized there's just no way um, we're not going to be able to get through the material that you're really going to want to hear about. And I knew these questions were going to be coming in. While they're walking through, they're getting questions. Don, um, you and I talked about it the other day. I'm sure you did also. But the... The Jordanians, uh, the Egyptians, they are not excited about the Palestinian cause anymore. They have that big bully yeah. in the neighborhood with Iran, and it's created another dynamic. Yeah, that's the problem. Two things have changed. They want to have some type of friendly relationship with the U.S., but also they have a mutual enemy, that is Iran. And Iran basically has said, once we get rid of Israel, you guys are next on the list. And the Saudis, of course, recognize this. They recognize what a great asset Israel will be on their side to work together with them, along with the U.S., because they need it. Because, uh, you know, we've seen what happened the oil fields, these, the uh, 25 missiles and the uh, uh, drones that went over there, the cruise missiles and drones that Mirac, you know, hit the oil fields there recently, that, um, you know, th they would take out, you know, Saudi Arabia tomorrow if they could, but they can't, not only because of the U.S., but because Israel is there, and that's why we've got possibly coming up in the next couple of weeks this historic meeting, David, between MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. They're trying to pull that off, aren't they? they they're trying to pull off a lot more than that. They're yep. talking about MBS and a few more people and a few right. more players. Um, you know, the classic saying, the enemy of my enemy is my enemy, and let's put it this way. The Saudis don't like us, the Jordanians don't like us, the Kuwaitis don't really like us, and, and, but they are afraid of the Iranians more than they're afraid of us. Another thing that's happened is I think the world at, at large and the Middle East has seen that the problem with the Palestinians is not the Israelis. I mean, again, what we're talking about again and again, Israel has said, yes, let's compromise. Yes, let's reach an agreement. And again and again, it's been the Palestinian side that have said no. And the Arabs around are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. If the Palestinians can't reach an agreement, I mean, why should we have to deal with this problem? And, and there was a feeling that the rest of the Arab world, the Palestinians are saying this, uh, were throwing the Palestinians under the bus for all kinds of their reasons. Um, Iran has become a much greater threat than ever in the past. 
Um, I'm going to say this with care, but let's put it this way. For many, many years, the United States has kind of dropped the ball on what's happening in the Middle East. Okay, you are the strongest nation in the world with the biggest economy in the world, the biggest military and power in the world. Now, every other country in the world, every other nation in the world, including the Soviet Union, has no problem using those kinds of assets in order to achieve their goals and their, their what they think is right. The United States of America did not use its power, its, its economic power, in order to achieve what should have been American goals in the Middle East. And because they did not do that, it allowed Iran to grow to be much bigger, much stronger than they should be in this kind of environment. Um, we're trying to fix that now to a certain extent, but I'm not sure if there's a little bit too little and a little bit too late. But here's the thing. When I say that your former administration was a problem for Israel, it's not because they did something against Israel. It's because you were weak. And your weakness was a danger to me because I live in that environment. I live in that neighborhood. And I have you behind my back. And if you are not being as strong as you should be, okay, then my situation is a lot worse. That means I have to take the big metal door from the bomb shelter that's in my house and put it back on the hinges because I don't know when I'm going to have to use that room as a bomb shelter. That's what it means for me. okay? And what I'm trying to say is that we're finding the Americans kind of moving in, but in this situation, Iran has reached so much influence and so much power that I'm not sure it's not too late. And that's the situation that we're in right now. Very uh, precarious. You look at everything. The, also, we know this. Eventually, the Trump administration will no longer be in Washington. Exactly. And we can see that thing swinging the opposite direction. Yeah, and we already got a little taste of what it's going to look like, don't we, as we see if the other side takes over. And it really ain't pretty, is it, people? It's not pretty at all. We are fortunately in a reprieve right now, and we have been blessed to be in this reprieve, we, you know, in many ways. And, and let's, let's look at what happened. The embassy moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. The Golan Heights, recognized. Come on, right. yes, yes, we can do that. Thank you. Finally, the recognition of the Golan Heights as Israeli territory, and again, saying Judea and Samaria, the so-called West Bank, is not occupied territory. That's three things the Trump administration has done and changed on the maps, and God bless them for that. Now, you, want, you wonder why our, our economy's going great? Genesis 12, 1 to 3, God will bless those that bless Israel and curse those that curse, right? So praise the Lord for that. Plus, plus in the last days, the economy seems to be <clears throat> tracking along pretty good. Uh, people will be buying and selling, and it looks like moving forward, planting, and so forth. You look at things, you go, hmm, they better be ready. Um, okay, I'm going to ask another question. Listen, we only have 17 minutes left in here. We're, go we're going an extra 15 minutes tonight. Yeah. Okay, we'll see how this goes. Okay, this is what I need you to do. Raise your hand so Pastor Harry and Pastor Roy can see your hands. And, but while they're walking through there, I'm going to ask you this question. That question somebody asked me. So somebody came to my house in Jerusalem, said, I, uh, these people, these Jews said, we were here a thousand years ago. You got to get out. How would I feel if they came to my house and say, my ancestors were here a thousand years ago. Get out of here. Because that is the narrative that is being brought to you by the U.N. 
and it's, bring, it's being courses. brought by, for lack of a better word, the more progressive side of the political map, which also is very into multiculturalism and very into different cultures. And in the name of multiculturalism, um, there's an Indian reservation, I think, yes, right back here. The Boba called Indian Reservation. Boba, which basically yeah, right is down the, street. the federal government uh, taking a piece of California and saying, because this belonged to the Indians before, we're going to kind of take it out of federal United States jurisdiction and hand it back over to the Indians so they can live in their ancestral homeland the way they're supposed to live. If you can understand the logic of that, why can't you understand the logic of me coming back to my ancestral homeland after 2,000 years and letting myself live in the hills and the valleys where the Bible was written, where my forefathers were? And if that doesn't make sense, why does an Indian reservation make sense? And again, the reason that one makes sense and one doesn't make sense is because it's Israel, because it's the Jews, because it's God-chosen people, because the standards that we are being upheld to and judged by are a complete different standard than the rest of the world is being upheld and judged by. And the difference is because it's as much a spiritual war as it is a logical, political aspect. The whole, the, the whole argument has changed. You, like you said earlier, there wasn't really a Palestinian people. Nope. And now you hear Jesus was a Palestinian. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah. because Bethlehem is in the West Bank. Correct. Therefore, you know, yeah. and you hear these things. It's, well, it's, not only a Palestinian, he was a Palestinian martyr. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, no, no, come on. Wrap your head around that one. Yeah. Jesus was a Palestinian. He lived in Bethlehem and he was killed by the government for his beliefs. I mean, they turned him into a shahid. And for the record, the name Palestine didn't even exist until 100 plus years after Jesus was even here. Okay. So you, if you're understanding what we're trying to say is that this is a war of images, ideas, uh, spiritual ideas, as much as it is a war of tanks and, and, and guns and missiles. And part of the reason I'm here today is because it's been my job to defend my country for the last 30 years. I, they put a uniform on me way, way back in 1981, and they said, defend your country. And I've done that on a regular basis. I've, I've been to war. I've almost been killed many times. I have killed many times in, 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 in order to defend my country. But ever since they took my company away from me, um, I, and ever since I've seen the way the battle is being fought today, it's not being waged on the hills and in the valleys. It's being waged in the media. It's being waged in the minds of people. And I'm here to fight that battle too. And in that battle, it's a different kind of war and we have different kinds of soldiers because the way to fight a battle of what you would call false news or fake news is with truth. And we need people to tell the truth. Amen. That's what needs to be done more than anything. Amen. And, you know, honestly, YouTube, like this is on YouTube Live right now, it's, it's a platform to do that. One of the reasons why we like to take people to Israel is when you go, again, how many people in here have been to Israel before? Uh, so that's a lot. When you go, 
you see what you, you see the truth. You know, you really see what's going on, and and people need to know the truth. I need to turn it over to you all for questions. Harry, there are a lot of hands I saw go up over there. Let's roll. And it will be an awesome question. Amen. <laughs> First off, David, I just want to uh, I want to apologize for a representative in uh, Minnesota, Omar. Really, I, I just want to say that's not here. That's not here in, in Hemet. So I want to apologize. And thank you for your service to uh, uh, Israel. I'm also Amen. a veteran here, though. And uh, I uh, just want to say thank you. Thank Absolutely. You. So my question is, is I'm confused by Yemen and uh, Lebanon and their role in this whole, like, we just took out somebody in Yemen. It's not really uh, on, the, on the TV or anything, but does that help you? Just like Suleimani was gone? Like, does this help Israel? I'm just curious in that. And what does the role of Yemen and Jordan have to do with the end times? Yemen and Lebanon? I mean, Lebanon, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, let's start off with the beginning. Uh, first of all, thank you. Second of all, we don't judge you by your idiots. Okay. <laughs> And, and don't get me wrong, we have some of our own. I mean, uh, let's, let's put this clear. Um, and third, um, Yemen, Lebanon, two different places. I mean, Yemen is as close to Lebanon as you are to Minnesota. Okay, put it something like that. And so different types, different people. But like I said, just go back to the Cold War, like there were wars going on all over the world that, are, that were part of a greater war that's going on. Uh, both Lebanon and Yemen are part of the great destabilization that the Sunni and Shiite war is actually going in. And yes, when bad people are killed, I think it was an Al-Qaeda number yes, two that was killed in, in, in Lebanon. Hallelujah. Okay, so we have got nothing against that. Um, I don't know if you know, but people have been disappearing from the world stage. I don't know if you know, but if you're a nuclear physicist in Iran, you cannot buy life insurance. Did you know that? They won't sell you life insurance. They have this tendency to disappear every once in a while. I don't know who did it. Like that virus you talked about. I think it's a virus that, that got him. Yeah. Yeah. But what, that's, you know, it's a great question because what Iran is doing, like David was saying, is trying to destabilize, but also trying to surround Israel too. You know, you Yemen, Lebanon, you've got Syria, you've got, uh, you know, even out in the Mediterranean Sea, right? They're doing some things there too, right, David? And so um, the idea is not only do the surrounding geographically, but also the technology now, the missiles from Yemen, the ones from Syria and that, they're getting better, they're getting, the distance is getting further and further. Uh, you know, they're in Iraq too, obviously, with the, the Iranians there with their own missiles. So it's, uh, it's like David said, it's a very, very tough neighborhood there. And, and, and so it's the whole idea of, we can't do it like, like David said on our own Iran, but we can use our proxies to surround them and destabilize. That's a very good question. Great question. Thank you very much. Was that Scott that asked that? Is your name Scott? No, Vern. Vern. Thank you, Vern. That's a great question. Microphone, yes. Hi. Is Isaiah 17, Psalms 83, and Ezekiel 38 interconnected at all? So I'll, I'll just, I'll let, okay. So uh, Isaiah 17 is prophecy regarding the destruction of Damascus. Psalm 83 
had, there's a theory out there that it, there's a war that's coming, Psalm 83 war. How many of you have heard of that? That's a lot of you. And then also Psalm, the other, uh, Psalm 83 is a precatory prayer. Um, and then you have Ezekiel chapter 38. So I'll put it this way with Isaiah 17 and Ezekiel 38. Let me just deal with those two things. Psalm 83, I'll let Don talk about that in a second. So I believe that Damascus will be destroyed. I believe that is still coming. Uh, Don might have a different opinion on it, but, but I believe it's coming, and I do believe it will happen before Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel chapter 38 is the war with Russia, Iran, Turkey, uh, Sudan coming from the south, and, and so forth, and they come against Israel for spoils. Uh, it's very fascinating. Don, uh, David, <laughs> every time we go with you to Israel, there's more and more of those gas lines that we see that have been built and constructed uh, from the Mediterranean, the Leviathan, over into Jordan. I think you were pointing that Jordan out last time we were, driving, we were driving down south. So we see this. The spoils that Israel now has, uh, Russia, it, it appears Russia is going to that place where they're going to need that spoil. They're going to need that gas. Israel is making these deals with Greece and Europe and in, for transportation and for sale. So, but I, as far as those two wars, or the battle of Damascus, to me, appears to become a ruinous heap in one night. That's what Isaiah 17 says. It's going to be destroyed. If you look at Damascus now, though, it, it, pardon me? There's only one way to do that. To, yeah, it, it's not good. Right now, Damascus looks, if when you look at pictures, it looks like a ruinous heap. But what's described in Isaiah 17, it's no more. So in one night, there's only one way to do that. It's not going to be pretty to eliminate it in one night. But I still see Ezekiel 38 in the future. I don't see it coming tomorrow. Uh, I believe the rapture could happen at any moment, but Ezekiel 38 will eventually come. The countries are all lined, lined up, and you look at these things. It, uh, the pieces of the puzzle are there, but I don't think we're quite there yet. No, no, we're not. Ezekiel 38, uh, one of the things, I did a thing with Jack Hibbs a few weeks ago on uh, happening now, and um, right after, in fact, it was the night after the uh, rockets were sent over the missiles to the bases there in Iraq. And I said, if there is a regional war, it is not Ezekiel 38 for a number of reasons. Number one, this is led by Iran, not Russia. Russia is the one leading Ezekiel 38. Uh, number two, it catch, catches Israel off guard. Israel is anything but not ready right now for something like that. Number three, the United States is there as a player, which we will not be in Ezekiel 38. And number four, you've got one country not in the mix yet, and that's Libya. But some interesting things are happening in Libya, aren't they, David? When the Medi with uh, Erdogan and, and the Libyan signing this agreement, trying to take over the whole Mediterranean Sea and divide it up. Uh, he wants to bring back the Ottoman Empire. But you have to have an army coming from Libya, too, you know, ancient put. And uh, it's interesting how things are moving that way, too, with Russia and Turkey trying to come up with some type of peace agreement there. You've got different factions there. Since Gaddafi was knocked off, uh, well, I'm sorry, with the way he resumed room temperature in 2011, I'll put it more mildly, uh, they've had a kind of a, a government, United Nations-based government there, but there's, the country is still, you know, it's not, not, it's divided, but it's not, they couldn't organize a real decent army as what Ezekiel 38 assumed. So that's, that couldn't happen today, but it seemingly will happen in the not too distant future. But no, that, those three aren't together. I don't believe Psalm 83 is a prophecy of any type of thing in the future. I think it's just an imprecatory Psalm uh, back at the time when it was given uh, by Asaph. So. so there you go. Another question. We still have four minutes. 
We have four minutes. Unfortunately, the microphone seems to be going this way. Oop. I am so sorry, everybody. It's Pastor Harry's fault. Blame him. We got a question over there. Hello, thanks for coming. Uh, Iran is, doesn't seem to have that much power, no nukes yet that I'm aware of. And we could squash them easily. Why are they so bold as China and Russia have their back? This is a world of asymmetric warfare. If I had talked 60, 70 years ago about war in the Middle East, we would have been talking about armies and tanks and battalions and, and, and this. If you go even further back, I mean, think about World War II, okay? Uh, but as we move up, um, you guys are American. You probably should understand this better than anybody else because a little dinky fanatic organization hijacked a couple of planes and drove them into a couple of buildings and freaked you out completely freaked you out. You don't have to have a major army. You don't have to have a major military capability in order to disrupt the lives of millions of people. You don't have to kill millions of people anymore in, in warfare. You just kind of made them come scared. What happened in 9-11, I think, more than anything, put you guys, how many people died? 3,000 people died. Now, it's terrible as that is. That is not a military achievement. That is not a major military victory. That is a mindset. That is a terrorism war. And the Iranians know that. And they are fighting that kind of war. They're not going to destroy the United States of America. They're even not going to destroy Israel. I doubt it. Though I do have very scary dreams of a, a mushroom cloud over Tel Aviv. But that's another one altogether. But basically all they need is to close off the Straits of Hormuz, which is the main outlet of oil from the Persian Gulf to the rest of the world, and raise oil prices by 3 or $4 a gallon, okay, to disrupt your lives. That's the warfare that's being fought. In the world today, you don't have to have a large army. You just have to be enough of a balagan. And for people to have to deal with it. And what they're saying is, deal with us because we can make your lives miserable. And that's what people need to understand. You don't need the major armies. That's why warfare has taken off in a different direction. And by the way, Israel leads the world in dealing with those kinds of things. But that's another story, and we can just write the whole book on that one. Out of time. We are out of time. I'm, I'm sorry. Do you have any closing words? Uh, Jesus uh, loves you. Yeah. It, well, I was just going <laughs> no, to. I'm just going to say amen to all that David said. It's just so important. You finally got to hear him. Isn't he wonderful what he's shared tonight? And so, um, uh, yeah, truly is. So if, I, I want to thank both of you for being here, David. Are, you might be back in to the states in August. Probably will be back. Want to come back? I will. To Hammett, you want me back? Don, can I lock you in for that same night? We, we can try. 
Okay. No, I'm, I'm, no, and you're pretty busy. Well, yeah, enough. what I'm yeah. doing now, I've, I've got actually three Sunday nights a month. I'm now doing okay. a thing on three different churches, uh, basically like by breaking news the night before I do it the next day. So I've only got like one Sunday night a month I'm actually free at. The first and last I'm busy, and one of the other two I'm going to be busy also doing doing that. So if I'm free, yeah, I'd love to do it. But yeah, yeah if it could be worked out. I'll put in my, I'll put in my request before you, before you leave. So, uh, also, you, you, most of you only have to drive to Hemet or San Jacinto. Some of you a little bit further. David's got to get back to Los Angeles tonight. Don doesn't have far from that he has to get back to tonight. So here's the deal. This is a real blessing tonight to have both of you. Yes. Let sir. me just make one request. Okay. I've just enlisted you into the Army. I don't know if you realize that. Amen. But like in any military, you can't take, turn your backs and run away when the going gets tough. And what I need you to understand that it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse for us. And it's going to get worse for you. I need you to realize that, understand that, and to be willing and able to stand up and say what is right and what is wrong, to speak the truth. Amen. You have an obligation, and I need you to understand that, and I need you to take that back and spread the word. Now, this is on YouTube, and this is on the Internet, and, and again, but again, you need to understand that it's coming. I don't know when, how, why, as opposed to other people, okay, but it is coming, and in that coming war, you're going to have a role to play, and I think that's important for you to know. Amen. Thank you very much. I'm going to pray, and... Close out. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful time. We thank you for bringing Don here and David here all the way from Israel. We pray for a safe journey back home for him. Uh, traveling mercies for both of them tonight as they go back to their California home. And Lord, we, I, I pray for everybody here. All the things that we've learned tonight help, even as David said, help us to implement these things. Lord, we are in this war. Uh, we thank you that we are part of your army. To you be the glory. We have a gospel to be proclaimed. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good night. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.